Alright, let's get our Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and let's jump right in because we've got a lot to do this morning. You say, Jeff, after last week, and by the way, some of y'all came back after last week. I am surprised. Man, you guys, uh, and if you, if you didn't catch that, uh, it's, on, it's online, or if you want to copy that, uh, last week we talked about the question with relationships, uh, how far is too far to go with my boyfriend or girlfriend? So it's a very intense subject that we talked about last week, but the Bible addresses it, and it addresses it very well. Uh, if you don't, hadn't bring, brought a Bible this morning, you can find one there in the pew, and uh, if you're new to the Bible, you can turn to the front And it should tell you what page Ephesians is on. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning there in verse 6. I'm going to read the text, then we're going to jump in, explain what it means, and then make the application to our lives. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 6. The Bible says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, or you were in darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that is that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says... Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Here's what's going on in the Bible. If you look at verse number 6, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, let me stop right here. Some people say, now Jeff, did men write the Bible, or did God write the Bible? Well, the Bible says that God moved through holy men, men who were totally dedicated to Him, and what they wrote was what God intended them to write. Hence, God would use their personalities. That's why you see with the Apostle John, so much emphasis on love. You see that the Apostle Paul, so much emphasis on the specifics of theology. Both are true, both are right, yet God moved through these prophets and these apostles to write exactly what God intended. And because God is the author moving through human agents, we have to ask ourselves the question, how big is God? Right? And that is a huge question, how big is God? And some people say, now Jeff, I believe that God's Word or the Bible contains God's Word, In other words, it contains God's Word, but it's not actually God's Word. Well, if that is the case, then what God is like is like this. Alright guys, I really want you to write and preserve my Word, but oh, he messed up. Oh, angels, what are we going to do? I don't know. Do you have an idea? Gabriel, maybe? We should go down and fix it, but he already wrote it. So if I wrote it, see, 
if we come to the conclusion that the Bible simply contains God's Word, here's what it means. It means that God is not wise enough, God is not powerful enough to start a project, a.k.a. giving His revelation to us through the Bible. God is not big enough to start a project and finish it without making serious errors. You guys tracking with that? Alright, so, and we've got links on the website if you've got questions about this. Does the Bible have errors? Are there mathematical, scientific anomalies in the Bible? All of those links are provided at RockyMountBaptistChurch.com. So, it is through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the Apostle Paul says in verse 6, Let no one deceive you with what? What's it say? With empty words. With empty words. Now, it's kind of interesting that the Apostle Paul would say, don't be deceived by really slick arguments. Have y'all ever met somebody who's a really slick salesperson? Ever going to buy a used car? Right? He's like, it's awesome, it runs great, no engine. It's like, wait, just a second, did you... I mean, sometimes people are just so good at selling stuff, but we've got to remember that if somebody's really good at selling snake oil, it's still... Snake oil, right? So if you want to take notes with us this morning, we've got it on the back of our worship guide. And also let me say, if you are a first-time guest with us and you've never filled out one of these right here, uh, if you could just fill that out and uh, after the church, just um, give it to me or one of our ushers and we'd be glad to take the record of your visit. So we've got an outline right here on the back of our worship guide. Message is called Empty Arguments. And our main idea for this morning is Christ brings clarity but sin brings blindness. Christ brings clarity. He brings light. He brings revelation. He makes things that are difficult to understand easy to understand. So the first aspect there is, number one, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived with what? Empty words. Literally, the word empty here is something that is devoid of content. It's kind of, well, it's kind of like this. Um, if you're a workout person or if you cut the grass, all right, you probably want one of these. This is a terrible illustration to use when it's 14 degrees outside, I know, Gatorade. But let's think summer. summer. If you have just finished working out or if you finished cutting the grass or changing the oil and you come in and you've got dirt and grime on you, you are sweating literally buckshot. You are soaking wet and you come in the house and you say, oh honey, I just need some Gatorade. And she says to you guys, here you go, honey, knock yourself out. For those of you listening on the internet, I have an empty Gatorade bottle in my hand. And you say, okay, is this some kind of a joke? She's like, no, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. It'll quench all your thirst. And you, you know, upside down and there's nothing in here. Like, okay, so what's the catch? Right? What's the joke? It is empty. So therefore, because it is empty, it cannot quench my thirst. And the Apostle Paul is saying, beware of empty arguments. And the word for deceive here is very interesting. Here's what it means. To call someone to have misleading or erroneous views concerning the truth. I have a friend who's a missionary in Central Asia, and he was doing some scouting, and this was along the border between the Central Asian Republic and China. We're thinking communism, right? 
China, not really a good place where you want to get mixed up. Well, he's up in the mountains and they're doing some hiking, kind of like some surveying to see who's living up there. And this Chinese guard comes out of seemingly nowhere and begins to accuse my friend of violating Chinese territory. In other words, he's saying, you're in China and you shouldn't be here. My friend's like, no, this is not China. So this guard detains my friend at gunpoint. And this went on for over an hour. Now, my friend had buddies waiting back at the base of the mountain for him in a van. And so finally, he said, the Lord just gave me strength. The Lord gave me confidence. And through my translator, I said, and by the way, I don't think he ever heard the adage, the guy with the gun is always right. <laughs> Y'all ever heard that? Right? You got a gun, man. You are right. What do you need me to do? He said, man, God just gave me confidence and courage. And I, through my translator, I, I spoke to this Chinese soldier. He said, no, sir, you are wrong. This is not Chinese territory. I here is my visa. I am legally. In fact, you are not in the right territory. And finally, the guy backs down. So my friend is coming down off the mountain. And he says to his translator, he said, I think we can have some fun with this. Because the guys at the bottom of the mountain did not expect it to take that long. So right when they come out of the clearing, instead of walking down, here's what they do. And those of you with the gift of mercy, you will hate this. All of the mean prophets, you're like, I wish I could have done that. They start bolting out of the forest, screaming, go, go, go! The Chinese are after us! There's a gunship! And they get inside the car and there's a... I mean, Russian and English and Chinglish. I mean, everything is going together. And they're like, what's going... They begin to go down this hill. He said they were in this old hoopty van. And he's going, there's a chopper coming! Go, go! And the driver is totally freaking out. And then all of a sudden, my friend Mark goes, (laughs) Isn't that an awesome prank? Come on, work with me this morning. I mean, that is funny. It doesn't even matter if you're from Firm or Burfoot. It does not matter one single bit. You might even get that if you're from Indicott, man. I was like, that is so funny. Because what my friend Mark did is he deceived the guys in the van. But what we're talking about this morning is much more sinister and much more deceptive. In context, he's saying, don't be deceived by empty words. Well, what are these empty words? Notice the next phrase in verse 6. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Back up to verse number 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper for saints. This is huge. Apostle Paul is saying, be careful, watch, because there are going to be people who come to you and tell you that you can be saved, but your life not change. Notice the text again. In verse number 6, the wrath of God is coming Upon those, and the phrase here is sons of disobedience, which that was kind of like a Hebrewism. It was kind of like a a colloquialism to describe people and their lives were totally, it's like this. God says, all right, guys, here's what I don't want you to do. And they say, you don't want me to do that, God? Cool. I will do what you don't want me to do. And God says, I want you to follow me in this area. They say, no. 
If a life is characterized by that, the Apostle Paul is saying that the wrath of God is coming. Please, in our southern context, regardless of if you're sprinkled, baptized by immersion, or you've joined a church. Now, parents and grandparents, let's get really honest. A lot of times in church, we've got kids, teenagers, even people in their 20s who may, quote-unquote, get saved. You know what I'm talking about? All right? And after that, and I'm not cussing when I say this, they live like hell. The whole time we're thinking, well, they've just backslidden. All right? The word backslide means to slide back from something. We have to ask the better question, have we ever slid forward in the first place? Everybody all right? Okay? The biblical question is here, is simply, what do our lives characterize? Do our lives characterize obedience or disobedience? The Apostle Paul says if our lives characterize... By the way, this is another one of those to where the crowd may shrink. So, man, we're so excited more people are coming. This, this is not one people are like, dude, we heard last week that the wrath of God is coming. Isn't that encouraging? Hey, do you want to come hear about the wrath of God? Come to my church. Doesn't usually happen that way, but what does the text say? Help me again. Look at it. The wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. This word deceive is the same word that's used. You heard the story of Samson. Remember that? Big stud in the Old Testament. It says in um, Judges chapter 16, verse 5. After this, and speaking of Samson, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek. His name was Delilah. Not the one that you hear on the pop station, but in verse... Some of y'all got that, man. All right. We're rolling this morning. Verse 5. And the lords of the Philistines, the big shots, came up to her and said to her, seduce him. Literally the word. And for, for our thinkers this morning, if you're ever reading Bible um, commentaries or theology and you see capital L, capital X, capital X, the LXX, what that's referring to is the Old Testament's written in Hebrew primarily, right? It's referring to the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament called the Septuagint. The LXX, the Septuagint. So this is the same word that's used in the Greek translation to deceive. They said seduce or literally deceive him and we'll see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him and humble him and we will give each, we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So here you have this stud. By the way, guys, how bad was Samson? Samson killed... Somebody had... It was a a part on an animal. It was the what? The jawbone of a donkey, which if you've ever... You can go do a Google search today. Like, man, what did you learn at church? Uh, Dead animal body parts. That's what I learned at church. So you can go check it out. If you ever look at a jawbone of a donkey, it is a formidable weapon. He killed literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of enemy soldiers as they were coming to him. I think Ninja Turtles video game. Are you tracking with me? How can one guy do that? He he was used by God to bring, literally, God's judgment upon the Philistines, but yet he was deceived. She asked him, Samson, what's the source of your strength? He lied to her. And then she told the bad guys 
what his supposed source of strength was. So all of a sudden he's sleeping. Guys, you're sleeping. You're taking a nap. And all of a sudden, guys bust in the door to jump you. And you are tied up with strings that Delilah tied you up with. And then you beat down all those guys. Men, wouldn't that maybe be time to cut off the relationship? Maybe. Number one, she's a psycho chick. Can I get a witness? All right? That's in the. Secondly, she's asking me where the source of my great strength is. I tell her, and she tries to take it away. She gets a bunch of thugs to come and jump me, and I don't go back the next day and be like, How you doing? <laughs> what? Are you what what are you smoking? Seriously. That is insane. But honestly, this is the Old Testament picture that would have come into the minds of the Hebrew hearers who were helping some of the uh, Ephesian believers. What does it mean to be deceived? And and we're we're going to touch on this in just a few moments, but I don't want to pass over it. Students, relationships can be, especially when you... I'll just say it. Physical involvement blinds us. That's why the scripture is so adamant about remaining pure for marriage. Ladies, it's not saying that you have to wear a veil. Guys, it's not saying that you have to wait till you're 40 till you talk to a girl. But biblically, it's saying because Christ is pure, therefore we should reflect his glory. Not in saying, well, I am better than you because I have not talked to a girl in 14 years. No. But it's reflecting the faithfulness of Christ. Does that make sense? It has nothing to do with pride. Genesis chapter 3, verse 13. That's what Eve said. God said, what have you done? And she said, the serpent deceived me. He's doing the same thing today. There in your notes. Deceived about what? Here's what it is. Apostle Paul says, be careful about being deceived that being saved produces no lasting life change. This is very biblical, and you will not hear this in many churches, but let me just get it out there. How do you know if you've been born again, if your life is changed from at one time serving self, but Jesus gave you a brand new heart? The biblical word is regeneration, and today you're serving him. That's it. Isn't that kind of easy? It's scarily easy, is it not? That's what Scripture says. doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect, but it simply means that we will have been changed. Let's talk about a couple of lies here. Here's some lies, some empty lies that people will believe today about the Gospel. Number one, lie number one, you can be saved and not be changed. Here's the way the syllogism often goes. Okay, getting saved is something that I do. This is a lie. This is... This is this is empty Gatorade, all right? We're still tracking with that? We good? Getting saved is something that I do, whether that be baptism, whether that be praying a prayer. Secondly, I have done that, even walking down an aisle. Therefore, because salvation is something that I do, and I've done that, fill out a card. Therefore, I am saved. But biblical truth goes like this. 
Getting saved is an act of God that produces a heart change. Can I get an amen on that? Then it's a question. Has, not what, what, what have I done, but here it is. This is kind of scary. Has Christ changed me? Now, you may have even been a child, all right? The only thing that you really had to repent of is like, you know, I don't know, taking bubble gum from your Sunday school class or something, or your teacher said, get one cookie, and you got 1.5. Because <laughs> sometimes we can hear testimonies in church. You got a guy up here, I was convicted of crack, slavery, terrorism, rape, and murder. And I was saved at the age of 13. God radically changed me. And we're thinking like, dude, that is an awesome testimony. I wish that I could have a testimony like this. My testimony's dumb. I'm a loser. I mean, when I was 11 years old, I realized that I was a sinner and Jesus was Lord. And I repented of my sin and I was born again. I don't have it. By the way, a biblical testimony is that Christ has changed you. Third, therefore, I am saved depending upon whether God has changed me. John chapter 3 Verse number 8, Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Meaning the old question, going back to the Austin Powers movies, who's your daddy, goes back to the question is, what does your life represent? Does my life represent something that is all about Jeff? Biblically speaking, if there's been no change, then... Whatever I call myself, saved or lost, Jeff is the author of it, and Jeff cannot save himself. But if it has been something that God has done, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, He made us alive. Lie number two. You ever heard this one? Empty argument. Good people go to heaven. Help me out with the last part. Bad people go to hell. Is that true? Somebody tells you something like that, say, okay, well, I appreciate you sharing your view. Um, what, what, what verse? I mean, not arrogant or something, but where does that say that in the Bible? Here's the way the reasoning goes for that lie. Heaven's for good people. I'm a good person. Therefore, I will go to heaven when I die. How many of you have ever heard anything like that? Anything remotely? Here's where it goes. Number one, where does it say in Scripture that heaven is for good people? Nowhere. Secondly, the claim, I'm a good person, compared to who? Jeffrey Dahmer? Saddam Hussein? Jeff, man, I did not gas 300,000 Kurds in the 90s. Because I didn't do that, I'm good. You read the paper? Six psychos. I'm not in that class. Well, if we compare ourselves to other people, we can probably find someone that we've not gone to the level of depravity of. But the point is, this, this is where it gets really like almost eerie. The standard in the Bible of, quote, goodness is God. When I first kind of really began to understand this, it scared me, honestly. It scared me. Because my parents brought me to church, but I was like, okay, if I am compared to God, then there's no way that I can compare. Here, here, here's a helpful verse if you want to write this down. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. We'll begin in verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. 
No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does, does good, not even one. Here's the point when someone says, heaven's for good people, hell is for the bad people. Um, it's that we're all bad. Amen? Like when you look at Scripture, it totally blows and annihilates and nukes the myth that there are actually, in God's sight, morally good people. None of us are good. In fact, if we could turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 5, here's what we would see in heaven. It says, And I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels. Stop right here. Huge point. In the Old Testament, one angel in one night killed 185,000 Assyrians. You say, Jeff, that's cruel. Here's a little fact about Assyria. If they captured you, they would probably skin you alive. This, I'm not going to, this is not grotesqueness for the sake of, this is biblical. We got to catch this. They would probably cut your tongue out, bury you up to here in the sand and nail your tongue through the back of your skull. Or they would cut down a tree to where it was sharpened like this and they would literally impale you on that. That is called God's wrath against sin. It's not saying God just woke up one day, I want to kill 185,000 innocent people. No, it was payday someday. So if one angel can do that, then we're talking about many angels. Big W-O-W. Numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, this isn't heaven, worthy is our church members. Worthy are those who don't cheat on their IRS tax forms. Worthy are those who say moonshining is wrong. <clears throat> Think I've got a cough. Let he who has ears let him hear. Worthy doesn't say any one of us. Billy Graham, the Pope, Mother Teresa, your mom, or me, or your Sunday school teacher. Worthy is the Lamb, speaking of Jesus, who was slain. To receive power, and wealth, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And then in verse 13 of Revelation chapter 5, And I heard this every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that were in them, saying, To Him, to Him, to Him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Friends, the Bible does not say good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. It says that we're all bad. Only Christ is perfect. But the good news this is so... You guys, can, you, can you feel this? This is the good part. That because Jesus is good and Jesus is perfect, if we place our trust in Him, we can be set free. Y'all alright with that? Lie number three. People say, now Jeff, getting saved, man. Living for Christ. Abstaining from these things. I can't do that. You ever heard anybody say that? I can't live the Christian life, Jeff. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who brings me strength. It is a lie from the pit of hell that you cannot live the Christian life through the power of Jesus. Lie number four. People say, Jeff, man, Christ and His commands brings oppression. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus talks about, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
for I am meek and lowly of heart. Then he says, for my yoke, like, a, like an oxen would bear, is easy and my burden is light. The world wants to say, you know what? If you, if you get out from under Christ's love and His commands, you can find freedom. I found it very interesting back in May. Do you guys remember Steve Jobs, owner of Apple Computer? Remember his little announcement about Apple products would not host any application having to do with pornography? He had a curious phrase in his report. So the Apple users would have freedom from porn. And he got hit right and left from that because the world sees freedom as the ability to do anything that you want. But biblically, freedom is the power or the ability to do what we ought. Amen? Let's get very, very practical here um, in regards to this. Um, <clears throat> talk to a lot of Christian young ladies and they want to get married. And if you want to get married, that is not weird. That is a desire that God has placed within you. But some young ladies have said, Jeff, doesn't seem like there are any uh, good guys out there. So what some people tell me I have to do is I have to dress in such a way that it attracts men in the wrong sense. I don't have to go down this. And by the way, we're, we're not talking about one extreme over here. To we're saying you have to wear uh, a, a dress that drags 40 feet behind you, right? And if a man sees this much of your ankle, then you must repent because thou hast sinned. We're not speaking of that, okay? But simply to be biblical and to... Understand that, that, that men are, are, are visually attracted because what happens many times is many young ladies say, Jeff, if I don't show what I got, no man will ever be attracted to me. Now, students, this is huge. I'm going to just hit this and, and we'll move right on. If you wear things um, that, that, that it points to, you know, this is what God gave me and I'm advertising, okay? You will attract men, no doubt. But you will attract men and they will be attracted to you for one reason because the way that we men think is if she's advertising, she may be in business. And we as men will see that as you possibly not having commitment to Christ and men are drawn to get something from you. And I don't even have to name what that is. And the second that you give that to that guy, he is done with you. you your, your notch is on his belt. He has now bagged another trophy, so to speak. And you think by lowering your standards, ladies, that you can keep him. In fact, you're giving what can never be restored back, and he is simply using you. So be left with a broken heart, guilty conscience, Many times it's a ruined life. Saying, Jeff, aren't you making a, a mountain out of a molehill? No. This is huge. So ladies, to understand first off that you are a treasure. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. does not matter your metabolism. does not matter the way you look or what you compare yourself to. God has made you special. He has made you valuable. He has made you, as the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 31, a virtuous woman is worth far more than rubies. So because of that, don't let anyone tell you that you have to cheapen yourself by lowering your standards. If a guy, and by the way, ladies, if you're ever out on a date and a guy, it seems like he's got one goal and one goal only, um, my number is in the bulletin, 
And we can get some deacons together and we can go have a closed fist healing. Y'all okay with that? All right, to, seriously, to protect the women. I like what one preacher said. He says, ladies, if you go out on a date, you may want to put your big Bible in the middle of you because if he wants to come over, he's got to go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> Zechariah, Habakkuk, and Moses, and even Peter. Good night, imagine that. So what we're saying here very simply is that when it speaks of these arguments, to go back to verse 3, to avoid sexual immorality, to avoid these things, it is simply for us as Christians to say, you know what? I have been called to a higher standard. And those of us who are single in here, we always say you're either single for a season or you're single for what? A reason. All right? There's always that little thing in there. But for us to have confidence that God can provide and for us to not to have to lower our standards. And I just want to encourage you ladies that don't let anyone tell you that you are worth so little that you have to lower your standards. Amen? And you say, from Scripture, you are valuable, you have been made in the image of God, and because of that, if you find a man who will honor you in that, you will find a true man. I was on a surf trip a couple of years ago with my brother and two guys in Costa Rica, and we began to surf, this is an American guy there, he was in his mid-30s, and he began to, I mean, he was just one of these guys dropping bombs and, you know, talking about... Uh, women in a, in a derogatory way. And we ended up surfing with this guy a good bit of the time. He found out we were Christians. He's like, well, dude, you guys like, y- y'all make these jokes and stuff about, about women. And uh, do y'all like women? We're like, dude, we are huge fans of women. We like women. Yes, they, yes, we, yes. But in the context of Ephesians chapter 5, that the husband is supposed to lay down his life for the church. Very quickly, notice in verse number 7, it says, Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were in darkness, and now you are the light in the Lord. Meaning here, that this is so huge for us who have been saved. That one time we were lost. You remember that? You remember back before Christ saved you and how everything seemed to be so dark? Now imagine this, if you have never seen true light before and you've always been in darkness, would darkness seem normal if that were the only thing that you had ever been exposed to? Yes! Think about the man who was born blind. Dude, he was born stone cold blind. Didn't go blind, born blind. One day Jesus came and gave him his sight. All the religious people got mad. Isn't it kind of weird that when God begins to do something really awesome, sometimes religious people can get mad? God, that wasn't in the bulletin. You got to announce it in the bulletin if you're going to do something, God. And so Jesus comes and he gives sight to this blind man. Everybody's asking, who did it? How did he do it? He's like, look, all that I know is once I was, help me out, I was blind, but now I see. And that's the same thing for us here in this passage. And it says in verse 8, but now you are in, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So one of my friends in Pensacola, Florida, he had just come out of a, of a rehabilitation program. He had gotten saved in that. There's a big, strong dude named Josh. He's like, Jeff, I was so strung out on meth, man. I was, I, I would be like talking on the cell phone. This is a quote. This is true. This is not preacher story. I'd be talking on the cell phone to somebody and I just, he lived out in the sticks. I'd pull out my nine millimeter, just start shooting in the woods. Crazy. But then I, got saved and I began to get help with this. And here's what he said. 
He said, it was almost like my whole life I was asleep. But one day, God woke me up. Go with me to verse number 14. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Some of you here today, you say, man, Jeff, I've never, I've never taken meth. I've never maybe even been drunk before, but I have never given my life to Jesus Christ. I have guilt. I have unforgiveness in my heart. I need to be set free. If that's you here today, man, we're just going to give you a chance here in a couple moments to give your life to Jesus Christ and to be set free. There's some of you and you've been saved, but it seems like you've really got off that road. You ever been there? Begin to follow Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed upon the author and finish of our faith. Hebrews chapter 12. But all of a sudden our eyes begin to get distracted by someone or something. And all before we know it, we've deviated off the path. And we're following someone other than Christ. Or we've become disillusioned. Or we've become discouraged. Here's the call for Christ for us this morning. Awake, O sleeper. Get back up. And Jesus says, I will receive you with open arms. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. You're here today and you've never been saved. It's right now in this moment. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just in this time right now, say, God, I need you in my life. Would you save me? Just commit your heart to him right now. Let him change you. There's some of you, you say, man, Jeff, I, I have, uh, I've been saved, but I've never been biblically baptized. I want to get baptized to show people that I am not ashamed of Jesus. If that's you, and we give this invitation, we encourage you to just get up out of your seat and come down. And by doing that, you're saying, I'm not ashamed of Christ. I'm ready to follow Him. There's some of you, and you've been saved, and you know that God is drawing you here to join this church. We ask you to come. Whatever your commitment is, when we give this invitation, you get up and say, Jeff, I am ready to live for Jesus and never back down. Father, we ask that you take this time, that you'd help us to be obedient. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.